Hey guys, I'm here today with Ramona Albert of Ramona Albert Architecture. Thanks for being here, Ramona. Thank you for having me. Hi. Hi. So Ramona is in New York and we were just kind of just, you know, sharing in our terrible weather misery right now because it's so freaking cold around these parts. But um, have you always lived in New York? No, I know you you just told me that you came from uh, Romania, right? Yeah, I've only been here about, I think, 2007. So that makes oh. it 13 years. Yeah, it's been, it's a while. I think yeah. I'm considered a New Yorker by now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And did you live anywhere else in the States before moving to New York? Yeah, I did my grad, uh, graduate school um, studies at Harvard. So I lived in Boston. Dang, um, girl. I do, yeah, I know. Um, that was amazing. I, I loved it. I mean, of course, the school is uh, is great. And then before that, I was an exchange student and I, I went to a private kind of liberal arts college in Missouri. So that was, that was my first culture shock coming from Romania. Um, so, uh, it was interesting. I think it was, I learned a lot about, um, this country and the the values and, you know, just, it it was great. It was a good learning experience. And then, then I moved to Boston and I came to New York. So it was one of those, those, um, you know, many places. (laughs) That's awesome. I, I'm actually going to Boston in February to visit my brother-in-law they just had a baby and his uh it's funny because we might actually go visit harvard because uh my partner's aunt um she works for the university here and might be able to get us in there so it's kind of cool but um so what brought you to new york um well i don't think i i even thought about any other options you know, it's, uh, I always wanted to work with, with the best of the best. Yeah. <laughs> so I was very interested in, in certain firms and, um, and essentially I, I work with them after graduate school. So, uh, so that's why it was essentially the people that have, that have worked here in the offices that, that brought me to New York and, and, um, and I got a pretty good, uh, you know, I was lucky to be able to work in all the offices that I wanted to work in. So it was, that was great in a way. Um, so I can talk about that. I mean, those are some interesting. I was, interesting yeah. Things. So, okay. Let's start with how long ago did you start your own business? Just for, um, not so long. It's about a year ago, a year oh. and some ago. Yeah. Yeah. A year and a half, I think, so you, you know, were, these things are never clear. I know. Right. And, and it just, sometimes it goes so fast. It's just, you have no idea what's happening anymore. Um, and so before that, so before you started Ramona Albert architecture, you were working for other firms is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. So what I did, I, um, before I started my, my, I mean, before I incorporated the office, I was actually doing consulting, doing a lot of, um, facade consulting, um, so I had a baby two years ago, two, two and a half okay. years ago. Right. So that kind of puts a, a whole wrench in your, in your, you know, what you do when, where you yeah. work. So after, um, so I was doing consulting before that I worked, actually I was a project manager at a construction company. I was doing, uh, I was in charge of a $200 million job near Hudson Yards, you know, for Brookfield, for Brookfield actually, which is a Canadian company. Okay. And, um, I was doing the, the kind and the management for the exterior envelope. So um, I can backtrack a little bit to to kind of give you an idea of how how I got there and how I'm using that today in my own ah. office. You know, so it, it's interesting. So after um, after grad school, so during grad school, I studied a lot about uh, you know kind of technology and and uh, fabrication and integrating fabrication into design, you know, interiors and, and, and buildings. So that was really fascinating to me. And then I, um, when I came here, I worked with, um, it's a designer to do some really high-end interiors uh, for some artists. And that was an amazing experience. And then I moved on to a, to a facade company where we actually designed and developed and built facades, um, one of them was for Louis Vuitton in uh, in Singapore. So we did the kind of branding and the glass for Louis Vuitton Ion 
um, it was a it was a really beautiful experience because we developed the kind of pattern glass um, that went into the facade. And if you look at an image of the project, you can see that there's like a checkered pattern of, of glass. Um, uh, can I Google it right now? What what would I search for? Yeah. Louis Vuitton, Ion, yep. Singapore. Oh. It's Can't not see. the top part, it's the bottom part, which is this, this curvy kind of glass. And it yeah. Has, yeah. So that was really cool. And then another project, which was really nice, and actually I was on the job site building this, and I was in China developing, it was the Lincoln Square Synagogue. You can look up Lincoln Square Synagogue in New York City. Um, and for the listeners, I will uh, add links so that people can just easily go check it out. Okay, I'm looking at it now. See, the, it's like a curved facade. Yeah. Um, and actually what makes it kind of brownish, it has an Hermes fabric on the inside, um, you know, that is laid in. So I spend a lot of time in China kind of laying that out and trying to figure out how we keep the creases and how the fabric is uh uh, you know, withstands uh, the sun and, and things like that. So that was yeah. an amazing project. And I was, I was, I was actually building it. You know, so I was in the shop putting together the pieces. We designed all the intricate detailing, and that's the kind of stuff that I'm, I'm really in love with. And then, and um, sorry, I just want to ask something. Like, you, when you went to school, what did you go to school for? Architecture. And okay, I guess it's just like so you were actually like hands on making it. Yeah, no, it was interesting because <laughs> um yeah, and I was I don't know. Is that just something you had a really good skill set and you were just like very good with building and doing things like that? Uh I am, I love doing these kinds of things. So the the way and obviously we had another guy in the shop, but I was there screwing the panels together (laughs) and it just yeah and it was it was great and actually the the fabric had these little creases in it and when I went to China I spent four months in a factory there you know and we were trying to figure out how do you laminate because it has not been done by that time before you know laminating fabric and glass for exterior uses and the thing is that the fabric had a little crease in it and we had to figure out how many layers of the the glass into layers to use in order to kind of have it melt together and so the workers were like I don't know what to do man you know somebody has to help us out and I was like well I don't know what to do either but let's figure it out so I was in a factory with these guys trying to um you know, and we had many trials and errors and it was, it was kind of an amazing experience because, because it was almost like, um, it's, it's craft, you know, you try to figure yeah. these things out and, and, um, and it takes, I think it takes a certain personality to do that, but I love making things. I love yeah. kind of working with my hands and, and, but obviously certain things are, are limited. So, yeah. so I was going to say like that, that is, that is a certain kind of person too, for sure. Cause I'm kind of like not a DIYer or like, you know, I'm just kind of like, I'm going to get the experts to do my vision. So that's really, really cool. It's almost like, I mean, we're all artists in a sense, but you're like kind of an artist in almost in the truest sense of the word where you're like doing things with your hands, which is really, really cool. Well, the, the thing is, is that even when you come to larger projects, you know, the teams are larger and you have a lot of these, these things to, to figure out. And so, so later on, I went to, to Tishman and we built the, a facade for five Manhattan West. You can look that up. It's um, by Brookfield. And so my role here was actually to kind of navigate the conversation between the architect and the fabricator. So I was the kind of translator to, to manage the exterior construction and design. And so, um, and the reason is because, um, there's every project, you know, that you start doing, there's a lot of unknowns. And a lot of times there's things that we don't know how to do and they have not been done before. So my philosophy is that, okay, it has not been done before, but I'm sure there's a way to figure it out. And if it takes us to do some extra research and some, some handwork, you know, to kind of get involved in the process, I'm very happy. Like, I love doing that. You know, and so so I've always been, you know, in that kind of transitional relationship between making and design, because there's no point in kind of designing something that you cannot build, you know. So so we always have to kind of push the limits. So every project I've been involved in was kind of um, 
trying to, to make things, to push things to another level. And then so as part of the consulting I did was the facade for TWA, the TWA terminal in New York. Um, it's the old Saarinen terminal and there's two hotels that, that have been built behind it. And, and that's also a, um, a system, you know, that has, it has like uh, two layers of glass with five inches of airspace in between. And so the idea is how to design the most seamless, most kind of um, sinuous uh, mirror to the to the siren and building while you know making them disappear but also having their own kind of beauty but making sure that it keeps the sound out of the airplanes out of the hotel you know right. so so that was a beautiful challenge and then I take that into my own work you know and then the the chapel for example in Romania that we did we worked with the with the workers and we we actually we're very careful at understanding like how do you how do you work the wood and then they told us you know these are the possibilities it's on top of a mountain you can't uh we have to bend it by hand we have to do these things so i'm always very interested in like you know the capacities of making you know and how we actually do that um, so we we're, that's a challenge for us every day you know like yeah. i just don't want to hear the word i don't know how to do it <laughs> yeah do you ever find yourself like somebody's like it's not possible and you're like no no we're gonna we're gonna figure it out <laughs> sometimes it's cost prohibitive you know right what's that yeah so sorry sometimes it's cost prohibitive so the smaller the projects are especially if you have a residential project where you're mm. you're trying to do some interiors and for for example now we're, we're working with casting some sinks out of corian and making these these uh flowy surfaces the question is, how much does that cost? And then I'm just yeah. like, oh God, okay. So let's let's try to figure out cheaply, and then and then a way that we can actually make it work. So mm. so it, it depends. The budget sometimes constrain you, but I think then the challenge is to try to um, is to try to work with what you have, to work within the constraints, you know, to keep your own uh, values as a designer. Absolutely. And do you find I here's kind of my my experience but I mean we're talking totally different levels of people I'm working with than you but um I find that sometimes I work like let's use a kitchen company for example where sometimes it seems like some kitchen companies just as an example just get so used to doing things that they churn it out and they're like this is what we do and then we churn it out and then you come at them with like a new idea and they're just so quick to say like no we don't do that that's not you know do you ever encounter that and how do you kind of push people a little bit and and get them excited to want to push outside of something that they've never done before yeah and that's a problem I've encountered that many times and what I do I just do custom build and I found um so to the point where I do all the shop drawings so I save the client money in that sense, you know, because sometimes these guys charge an arm and a leg. Yeah. And I'm just like, you know what? We'll do all the shop drawings. And I have a fabricator that I found who's very cheap, very cheap. Mm-hmm. And everybody starts out with going to these kitchen companies. And they're like, I want this and I want that. And then you go to, it's true. And, and I found, we had one client that wanted to go to Buffy for Buffy to design their kitchen. And, um, and I went to Buffy and it was like $50,000, you know, just to even start the design. And then right. they were giving out these, and he was like, I can't, I don't want to do that. What's the point? Why? Why yeah. am I paying that much money? And I said, you know what? Let me, let me, let me just do it for you. And we did it. And the whole thing came out to be, I think, uh, like $19,000, you know, with like super just, detailed yeah. custom cabinets. So when you say, let me just do it for you, can you just elaborate on what that means? Like that means you're going to find somebody who will make, as opposed to working with a kitchen company, is that what you mean? Yeah, we make them custom. I have a fabricator who makes all the cabinets custom and we do the shop drawings for him. So we draw everything out and he just makes them and he brings them to site and um, they look beautiful. (laughs) Hey, and you basically just found that guy, you know, and now you probably give him a ton of business. And is he basically who clients are going to want to work with him anyway, because they're going to come in less than going to the other guy and it's going to be exactly what they want. Right. Yes. 
Definitely. And that's why I like it. Yeah. Otherwise, I I just don't like working with these. Um, another thing is that usually these companies, they have a standard of, of doing things. And, yes. and the reason why, because they copy paste and they charge exactly. you the full cost for it. So, and, and they're just, it's, it's just like a well-oiled machine. This is the kitchens we do. Like they don't really want to go outside the box because then that costs them more money and it's going to hit their, I totally agree. And now you got me thinking I do need to find my own, my guy. I got to find a guy. But okay. Sorry to cut you off there, but okay. No, no, no. And it's true. And you can't, like you go at them with something kind of like out of the box and they're just kind of like, no, not doing it. Well, the, we have, yeah, we have a problem right now on a project where, um, where, uh, we have kind of like a curved panel on a building. It's a GFRC panel, um, which is gypsum fiber reinforced concrete. It's like this beautifully curved concrete panels, you know, mm-hmm. that are, um, it's, it's, it's a lighter concrete. It's like a fiber reinforced concrete. So the contractors bidding on the job, nobody knows where to get it, what it is. And I tell them all, you know, I have five contacts. I've visited five factories. Here is the cost, full transparency. Just put it in your light item. Yeah. And they're like, and they, they're asking me how to install it, you know, what it is. And, and, I'm, and I'm looking at these people and I'm thinking, oh my God, if they've never encountered anything out of the ordinary i mean and the thing is if there are people who have encountered something out of the ordinary they charge a super premium for it right you know exactly so i'm not sure there's an in-between and i'm trying to figure out that i'm trying to figure this out you know like yeah isn't there an in-between where people just kind of you know, are realistic about cost or, and another times you're paying for somebody, for people's lack of knowledge. That's another yeah. thing, you know? This podcast is supported by Ultralux Linens. That's right, guys. And if you have not reached out or gone to visit Ultralux and spoken to Jacqueline or possibly Emily, then I've got to ask you, what are you waiting for? Because I've told you already that they carry over 75 brands of fabrics, Kravit, JF, Allendale, Avant-Garde, all the good stuff. You're going to get the exact same designer trade discount that you would get if you went to them direct. But the benefit is that they're all under one roof. So when you actually go look at fabric, you have all of the different fabric lines in one place for you to check them out. And when you're ordering the fabrics, you just have to send one PO. It really doesn't get much better than that. They also have a ton of wallpaper books. And when I go in there, I basically just tell them the vibe I'm after. And often Emily just kind of goes to various places, pulls out some books for me, and we're off to the races. They have over 5,000, that's right, 5,000 square feet of showroom and it's filled with custom furniture line. They've got bedding, linens, towels, so much stuff. It's insane. It's amazing. And the best part is they just recently opened their workroom. I already got some drapes up in my home, which I absolutely adore. They do drapery, pillows, custom cushions, I'm telling you, whatever you need, they're going to do it. To learn more, go to ultraluxlinens.com or find them on Instagram, slide into their DMs. And of course, if you want to check them out in person, you're going to go to the Toronto International Design Center, second floor, whatever you do, make sure you tell them that Michelle sent you. So if you're asking for something of specialty from a kitchen cabinet maker, right, who has never done that before, they're going to have to outsource that or find somebody who does it. Mm-hmm. And so in that case, are you, are you asking for some kind of marble that's very hard to find? You know, they go to their guy and then they say, oh, no, I'm not used to this. You have to go to a specialty manufacturer. And then so this kind of search process, process kind of brings extra cost into yeah. the project, yeah. you know. So I usually cut that out by going and finding the information myself mm-hmm. and kind of telling the client, this is where you get, you know, this is how much you need. And, and we've done that. We've, we've, and we just did a, you know, a project in the Hamptons and literally the cost I was getting from people ranged from like X to three times X just yeah. because, 
you know, they were yeah. trying to sell me something. So, and I was educating the client about it. I said, you know what, it's, you don't need to pay for that. You're paying for slabs of marble. You're not actually going to use, you know, yeah. you have to be cautious about what you're getting. And so, you know, that was kind of a, a, a nice conversation, but it's always that. I feel like it's more about paying for these subs who, who lack the knowledge to give you the, you know, the right information. Absolutely. And so is this, I guess, because what we were going to talk about today too was how, you know, your firm basically does everything in-house, right? From the design all the way through to the project management. And is that one of the reasons you also wanted to bring all of that in-house was just to be able to give it to a client at a more reasonable price slash be able to control things a little better? Yes, that's one. That's exactly why. And because we had to do it for one of the projects in Chelsea, we did it in the house in the Hamptons. Um, the problem was that it was very hard to find um, the the project in the Hamptons. So I, I had to get a contractor's license both in, in Southampton, which is in Long Island, and in New York City, right, to be able to do these these projects. And so I have worked in these large construction companies and I understand, you know, that, you know, how you do that. I've done this for, for quite some time. But um, the thing is, I would love to do only design and architecture and not have to worry about the rest. But when the problem, for example, I'm giving you an example in the Hamptons home, we were getting bids that were exorbitant. that were five times the cost of actually doing the project. And only because, you know, the, it's the Hamptons, People think they can take advantage of the clients. It's just there. It's right. a money making machine, you know. Yeah. And so, and so we were sitting there, and we're like, this is that shouldn't cost that much. And so finally, we took my team and we did the the renovation, and, and it was great. Um, you and know, so it basically was. You um, were the general contractor there, and you brought in your trades to execute everything that needed to be done. Yes, everything was outsourced. So we subbed out the plumbing, we subbed out the mechanicals, we subbed out the electrical, and we subbed out all the carpentry. There was not, there were not that many trades, right? So, so it was, it was actually, it was, um, it was a very difficult project because it was a very old house. So you had to kind of fix the structure and there were some things that were very, very difficult, you know, essentially putting air conditioning in. So it took a lot of me to be there and to kind of coordinate the work, you know, because then, then in that case, you have to coordinate everything. And, and so it becomes, uh, it becomes a full-time job, you know, and yeah. it's just, it's not just designing something, but it worked out very well because the guys were, were great and, and they, they did a good job. Um, so it's, um, it's kind of, uh, um, it's worse because it saves money and we were able to do it at almost like a real cost. You know, it wasn't blown out of proportion and paying another 20% to someone just because, you know, they were yeah. going to, um, I don't know what they were going to do. So, so it's kind of a game, you know, and, but it doesn't work every time. For example, um, you know, and, and this and this new building in Brooklyn, um, the idea is to kind of uh, pull in the subs, but we realize that it's probably easier to kind of contract the project out to have them, you know, do a particular portion, and then I come in and do the interiors because most of these people have relationships with the city that are much longer, and so so I let them handle that part, you know, okay. in in that sense. So we don't do it on every project. Um, but I'm doing another facade project in New Jersey where we're installing these beautiful two-story windows. And that's a consulting project and we're doing uh, project management on it as well. So, um, so it varies from project to project, right? Obviously, if it's a five-story building, I don't, I'm not going to go in and manage the whole thing. We'll leave it at, you know, at the, at the, you know, at the general contractor, but we try to, to create kind of direct contracts with people as much as we can you know so that right. we, save, we save the client money right and so just so I'm totally clear basically what you you do is if you are the project manager then the clients are you're the one who the the trades have contracts with you not with the client and then you're um the client's paying you and then you're I assume you're marking up trades a little bit um 
and you're, but you're paying the trades directly. So you, the, the client with regards to construction has an agreement with your firm? Depends. And it's, um, the way we've set it up so far is that the client um, contracted with the subs separately. You know, so usually but you're the project manager. To, yeah, but I'm the project manager. So it depends on every project how the client prefers to do that. I don't. I depends. You know. Okay. Um, yeah. So it depends. It, it's very. It varies from project to project and how the clients prefer to do it. But I like to be pretty transparent about it. You mm-hmm. know, just because it's it's um it's kind of a rare quality to have. Mm-hmm. You know, so, and uh, yeah, if you're the okay, so if you're the project manager, I just want to make sure I'm totally clear on like how we're defining that here. Um, you're so you're the one setting up the schedule for construction and ensuring the trades are there when they need to be. And and you know, if the trades don't show up, are you the one like let's say a trade does you know is not showing up? I don't know, I'm just making up a story here, but. Is it it your job to deal with that or is it the client who has the agreement with the trade to deal with that? Oh no, I manage all of them. And so far they have, it has not happened that they didn't show up, but I chew all their butts every time something happens. So, um, and I, I, um, take on deliveries. I mean, not me personally, you know, we have people who do that, but it's like, it's, I take on the deliveries. We create the schedule. We pretty much, do everything that a project manager does, that a construction manager does. Got it. So you're ordering the tile, you're yeah. making sure it shows up, if it shows up damage. Okay. Um, I had a question and it totally just escaped me. So um, the are you the one referring the con- the trades to the client or are you okay with them? Like what, what's your preferred method on that? You use the same trades over and over often or do you allow them to pick somebody else if they feel like they know somebody for tile at a great rate? Both, but so far the clients have come to me asking for advice on that. But there's some, some there in some cases the the owners already know what kind of tiles or what they want to use. So we work with them specifically. Okay. And I help them with the purchases, and obviously I do that. But mostly, I um, I have the people that I like to work with. Especially in New York, people have their own recommendations, so it, it becomes almost you know kind of a, a mix of people. Gotcha. You know, it's not always yeah. It's very common that that uh, owners have their their preferred people, or they have somebody recommended already. Uh, so it's it depends on the project. Okay. And what about, I know in Canada, there's some stuff about like, you know, as soon as I'm project managing, I become liable for the work of the trades. And if something happens is what's, what are the regulations around things like that? Where, you know, in New York, for example, like if, if let's say something crazy happens, um, is that a liability of yours or the trades direct with the client? You know what I mean? That's kind of a complex question because um, so there's layers of contracts, right? So so the thing is um, that usually an owner does not use their own name. They have an LLC, right? So they're already protected through an LLC. Mm-hmm. And then I have liability insurance. And and um, then then there's also the possibility. So the subs have their own insurance. And so there's a possibility for the for that the owner's LLC to contract directly with the with the subs LLC. But there's also the possibility of kind of like putting another intermediary, um, you know, to kind of uh, bridge that gap. It varies very much on a smaller project. It's very straightforward. You know, you have the owner that. Um, that contracts with the CM, that contracts with the subs, or the owner contracts with the subs directly, depending on how they want to do that. There's some very there in in America. There's the AIA. You have the Canadian um, standards as well. There's the AIA contracts, but every project um, can use the AIA contracts, or is just um, or they they use a version of it. It's, it's you know it's better to use the AIA contracts. So the the other thing here in the U.S. is that, especially in New York, is um, projects related, and it depends on the cost of the project and the type of insurance you want to have. So 
um, the contracts have to be very carefully viewed, and every project has the the potential to have like the, the contract is individualized to the project itself, mm-hmm. right? So um, there's no the only kind of overarching process the way you do it owner to contractor contractor to sub that's the typical way of doing it. There's many other ways of doing it, but they are um, they're all project dependent on how the owner wants to do it. But they're all based on this AIA contract. Everybody advises us to use the AIA contract. Right. Well, I think that my input of this is like, if you just don't want to be doing this, if you're a sole proprietor anyway, which is what I am. So like you're incorporated or whatever, you know, LLC, like you said, um, to be taking on this type of liability. Oh, um, I should mention, I have two companies, so I don't have just one company. I have the design company and then I have the the construction company. So there are two separate entities. It's not, it's illegal in the U S to have your own, um, you know, as a designer, obviously, you have right. to have two companies. So because I'm a registered architect, um, and so I, I do stand the drawings, right? Gotcha. But then if the, you know, if the projects, so the projects that are done through the, to the other sister building company, then they are taken on by that company. So it's, again, it's, it's like, uh, you cannot be one and the same. They have to be right. separate. Got it. And okay, so how many, how many, like, you know, the project manager, I assume you are not the specific project manager. Like, do you have somebody who takes care of that? Like, how many employees do you have to be able to manage this type of business? Because obviously, it seems like, you know, there's a lot of moving pieces that you need to be paying attention to. It seems like there are. Yeah, there, it seems like there are a lot of moving pieces, but it's, um, it's really not because so far the projects have been quite manageable and small in size. Mm-hmm. So there is one person taking care of the project and then the drawing is split in the office. So the people who are doing the, some of the design work take over and then do the other, um, you know, the other stuff. So I have, you know, so, so we split the work in between all of us. And mm-hmm. on, when we started the office, we were very small. So we had like, one other person that was helping me with the drawing and then I was drawing quite a bit, but now I don't think I have the time anymore to draw so much. So we have added more people doing that. It's kind of a... So how big is the firm now? It's like four people. It's mm-hmm. not that much. It's very, it's very small. And okay, so you've got you as the principal designer and what are the other roles that you have? Like junior designers, project manager, like how is it broken up? We don't have roles. Okay. I'm very, no, I'm like a new age kind of person. I don't care if people work in the middle of the night or at 6 a.m. And I right. don't care when they and how many hours they go out for lunch. We just work all together. Yep. Um, so uh, there's really no roles, really. Okay. Um, we never discussed that. I know I'm very against the typical way of working because I cannot sit my butt down and work eight hours straight. I mm-hmm. cannot. And right. so I resented it when I had to do it in other places. I, I resented. So I prefer to um, to work with people who are happy and mm-hmm. they're not always around. Like they're not always here. Like if they want to work from home, it's fine as long as the stuff gets done on time and perfect, you know? Right. And so there's one guy who's purely remotely and, and I'm very happy with that. So um so I'm trying to get away with like the the traditional way of working in a way because it makes me happier and it makes everybody happier. So um, I love we'll it. Yeah, yeah I think it works for Google so why not, right? Oh I know it's hiring design office I think but it's it's uh, we're working remotely, you know. I think it's, it's true for creatives, right? And you can't just decide when you're going to be creative all the time, you know. You can't, and we, most of the time you don't feel like doing everything, but you have to anyway. Yeah. So, um, so I just the last thing I want for people to do something while they're bored and charging me. For yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> when it's not their best work, and they're just like, I don't want to do this right now. So yeah. how many how many projects do you like to have or have at, at one time? 
Well, okay, that's uh, we're still new, you know, mm-hmm. and so right now we have three things going on, four things. And I assume um, it's like, are they whole homes all of the time, or could it be just a bathroom? Or oh no, it's interesting. So one of them is in the new construction. Okay. One of them is a renovation of a townhouse. Um, one of them is a consulting project. We're doing consulting as part of scope and work. So that's a huge project that we're consulting for. And we're doing, uh, you know, like uh, certain details for it. It's, it's an exteriors uh, project. And then there's another one, which is really cool. We're doing a solar pavilion and we're, we're launching it for design week in May. And it's uh, a pavilion that we're hoping to actually spread over the country. We're doing a VR installation um, oh. for um, solar pavilion. It's a play space for kids that actually powers up to ten homes a year. For which we're we're you know we're designing oh. these uh, PV cells and and the VR installation will be kind of a two minute sequence of you putting the when the you know whatever you call the the glasses on and 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 being like it's like there's it's going to be a movie that you can partake in you know for about two minutes and uh narrated by a kid so that one's really cool we're really excited about that one and uh, so that's the kind of stuff we we do it's it's uh and and um we have a portion that so this this project is kind of a, a research and development that we do because it makes me happy and it it makes me excited about the you know the the way we design. So that's part of the stuff that um, we develop in the office. We also developed a set of candle holders for the Hamptons house. We're doing furniture for the Brooklyn residences. And so it's like we have this this portion where we keep ourselves in the kind of futuristic view on how can we make life better, you know, and in many ways. I love it. Yes. It's, I mean, those are all fairly large scale projects, so I can see why it's it's for it. Are you in your mind? Is this how many based on your current um, number of employees? Like, do you want to be taking on more projects at once, ideally, or is this like based on the current um, employee base? Makes sense. Like, this is the right amount. No, I, I'm not doing projects. If another project comes around, then I'll just hire somebody else. It doesn't matter. I'm very oh my God. I love um, that. It's just like so easy. Bring you're like whatever. I just hire someone else. I wish I had that mentality, which I need to work on, obviously. Um, so, can we talk about your consulting a little bit? Like, how does the consulting work? And what like are you consulting with um, homeowners and builders alike? And how is that just billed hourly? Or are you offering packages? H- how does that? What does that look like? I'm very curious. So it depends on the project. So before, usually they do hourly, right? Because I don't know why people like that, but they've liked it. Um, uh, so for the Jersey house, we help the owner essentially um, choose and and install their a two-story facade. It's like this two-story glass facade that overlooks the Statue of Liberty. It's pretty cool. And then, so he was kind of, he wasn't sure what system to use and, and where to find it. So we kind of, we, we geared them towards the product and where to get it and how to install it and all that. And then we're there to kind of help with the installation process. So that was it. For the, for the, so when I started for the TWA, I actually, you know, worked very closely with the architect to design the system, you know, for them and to kind of, you know, figure out what the mullions were and the, the actual system itself and I helped them I helped actually the whole team get the glass the type of glass that it's used there were some really good friends of mine from Interpane which is a glass company in Germany that I brought in and they've they've used that particular glass because it has the qualities that were needed and then um, they use the fabricator which I really um, had a lot of respect for. So, you know, I was involved in, in a different kind of process there. And then um, in this, this uh, so then I also helped out the owner's rep for um, St. Patrick's Cathedral. There was an interior glass that was built um, to partition off the kind of rear side of the, the um, cathedral. And so um, they asked me to kind of oversee the installation process 
um, and to be sure that it, it's done properly. And that was interesting to be, to be part of. And so when it, okay, so using that as an example, having you oversee the installation project uh, process, sorry, what does that mean exactly? Like um, you're, like what specifically do, are you overseeing? Like you're on site when it's being installed or you're like, I guess I would just want a little more clarity on what that means. Um, you know what I mean? So yeah, usually, usually, yeah, no, it's really, it's kind of more complicated, but there's a set of drawings obviously by which everything is done. Which and you then did there's not make though, right? Did you? We, did the we don't make them. Okay. We don't make them. The fabricator makes them. In some cases, um, we do the schematics. So for the Jersey house, we did the schematics. For the for the TWA, yes, I I drew up the whole bid package essentially okay. for them. So I drew up the facade bid package. So um, so it depends on on the scope on every project, but um, usually it's very important that uh, during the installation um, and during the whole construction, just like in any project, the the final product is. Um, you know, it, it, it is exactly what the design intent was gotcha. and what the architect has intended. So, and also it has to not leak and it has to have certain characteristics. So we need to make sure that, that everybody's on board, you know, to, to um, like in the Jersey house, you know, it leaked. There was an issue where it leaked and we're like, oh my God, what's going on? It turned out that the project, you know, the kind of exterior wasn't sealed properly. So we were there for a whole day trying to figure out where it leaked. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and I was kind of um, helping, not, not really helping, but like pushing everybody around to make sure that they figured it out because the owner, you know, needed to have this figured out as quickly as possible. Yeah. So and um, when it's like a kitchen herder. When you're the consultant, are you the one who are still like, is it, you're still the one being like, Hey, trade, this is not acceptable work. You need to redo this. Cause I mean, it's, you've kind of come in. Um, are, are you, you still have that kind of power to say like, this is not acceptable. What's been done here. Well, yeah, we say it's kind of in a, in a different way, but yeah, most of the right. time it's, it's, it's a group thing and, and we point these things out. Definitely. That's, that's one of the things, but yeah. I, I am very, sorry, I'm so sorry. Um, when you're consulting, my question is, um, are you relaying information to the owner because you're only there on a consulting basis or are you to be dealing with the trades directly to rectify situations in a consulting? Oh, no, 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 no. I, it's not my job to, to give, like the owner decides what to do. Okay. We just purely give them because usually the, that's a construction manager's job. So exactly right. It, yeah. So we're just there to to um, to kind of give our input, but we are not the ones to rectify. That's really not. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and ultimately, the difference between consulting, like you might on a consulting project, you might come up with a design for somebody, you know, that's needed for something specific in their home, and you might oversee the installation but basically the key difference between consulting and you know full service is that you're not there and you're just there wherever they need you to be there and whatever they want you involved in and yeah it's not um so for for the house it was just a specific it's mostly glass related this consulting oh. stuff you know because i have this specialty in like very um, complex facades mm -hmm. and so um, most architects don't know or designers they don't know where to go for products or they don't know how to design something or they don't so these things are more com complicated you know it's not something you do every day so um, so my, my I come in usually to advise clients on like how to design like a beautiful glass facade or how do you integrate uh, you know two-story glass into your home or or, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. So so that's where I come in. Or, for example, they want to do a beautiful curved glass uh, facade for, for a home, you know, then, then I help them figure out, you know, where to source it and how to design it and figure out the details. So these are the kinds of things that I, uh, I do in the consulting process. Gotcha. Okay. And do you, do you have, like, a minimum, you know, 
could your consulting just be, I come to your home for a couple hours, like a consultation, like in the true sense of it, or do you have like a minimum amount of hours for that type of um, offering? No, I'm not very transactional like this. I'm kind of easygoing, you know, like I helped a friend of mine with her townhouse and I didn't do the design. She just needed filing on the project. And I said, oh my God, I don't do these things. I hate doing these things. And it's not, you know, so I helped her file. It right. I mean, that's your friend. So that doesn't totally count, but yeah. yeah. Um, but I mean, like if somebody, yeah. a stranger, like a lead calls you for consulting, I mean, I sure, I assume there's some transactional stuff that's happening there. You're not just going to their, ho- their home for free to consult, right? No, no, of course. But um, it doesn't need to be like six hours. I'm happy to go and help out and give advice. You know, I'm always yeah. happy to give advice. It's not an issue for me. Gotcha. I'm very um, open about it. I mean, it's obviously not free, but it's, it's mm-hmm. um, I'm very easily accessible, you know. Right. Okay. And what else, what else about the, the way that you've set up your business that we maybe haven't chatted about that I know you were saying how passionate you were about it and like, did we cover everything or? Um, I, I, I think so. It's kind of, um, I mean, oh, I know I'm learning every day. It's so oh, much. And what I, what I love is that every day is, is new and then there's a lot of unknowns and, and, and if everything was kind of monotonous, it'd be so boring. I would be bored out of my mind. So yeah. the fact that, yeah. that I get these questions of how do you do this? I don't know how to do this. Or is this too complicated? Then to me, this keeps me excited, you know, about, about what we do. So I'm always up for a challenge, you know, and, um, and it's okay. That's kind of fun. That's the whole point. Yeah. So we like to, to make things better. You know, that's, that's the whole thing to make sure that we, we create a better environment you know, and, and not lose our design sensibilities, but not break the bank. Mm-hmm. And I mean, guys, you got to go check out their website. It's, you know, their, your work is absolutely beautiful, obviously. Thank you. It's uh, really incredible. And so when you've, you've been doing this for um, your own business for a year and how, like, where do you, when you first started, where were clients coming from? Family and friends. Yeah, and I am not shy to say that because I was lucky to have that, and and it was really, um, yeah, it was that. And you so, were lucky in that, like families and friends had the budget to be able to, um, you know, create like need full renos and be able to kind of use your amazing talent to its fullest. Yeah, I think it was not more the budget. I'm more worried about trusting me. You know, mm. <laughs> not worried, but. But I'm happy that they trusted me. You know what I mean? Because that's also the biggest part of it. You know, the reliability and being able to do something um, well. So, um, and so far, so good. Everybody's been very happy. So I'm glad. Mm. (laughs) Have you you had any, do you ever turn leads away? And, And if so, what would be the reason? I don't like these kinds of filing projects, honestly. Oh, what kind of, sorry, what kind of projects? Like, you know, stamping other people's drawings. Oh, I see. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the kind of stuff I don't like to do. Mm-hmm. Um, only because there's reliability and I've earned my stamp with sweat and blood. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, uh, and so um, that's one of the things why I don't like yeah. doing that. Um, but it's very common that people do that in this, this city. Um, yeah. And, you, you were talking about trust. Is there, do you, are you able to identify, you know, when you're first talking to a client, is there something you do to help identify whether they're going to put that trust in you or not? And how do you, cause you know, it's so important that we align with, I actually, I'm reading a book right now. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's, I think it's called interior design uh, and marketing or whatever. But um, one of the lines in it, I'm actually going to pull it up cause it was really good. But um it's about, I'm actually, I'm going to read it. Basically, it's uh, choose clients who you can confidently help to navigate the process and then whose version of crazy you understand. So basically, mm-hmm. like, you know, work with people who are going to be, you're, you're going to be able to do what you need to do to get the job done as opposed to somebody who just doesn't want help, but they think they do. Um, so is there something that you do mm-hmm. early on to try to identify people like that since you said trust was so important? 
I you know it's interesting. I just I love to work with people who are who um, are very intelligent and kind of are interested and curious about um, you know different possibilities. You know, and yeah. so I, that's kind of my thing. I, I like to to have clients who are very interested and very involved and and, uh, and curious. Yeah, and then just kind of want to learn from the process. Mm-hmm. So that's really my. Um, yeah, I've, I've, I've been alone since I was 16, you know, so I think I've developed a pretty good self-esteem that if it's, yeah. <laughs> if somebody does a, is not fit, then it's fine. You know, it's not the end of the world. That's so you know? key. Absolutely. Um, well, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you, your website and your, uh, your Instagram yeah, um, yeah. You can find me on my Instagram. It's at Ramona Albert, and, um, and then also my website www.ramonaalbert.com. I and love that's it. That's about it because we're updating the Facebook page right now. It's totally. And who even cares about Facebook anymore, right? <laughs> I know. I know. I know. <laughs> well, congratulations on your success. Like it's such an early business, and it just looks like you're working on some super killer projects. So. Thanks you so much for reaching out and, and sharing a little bit about your business today. Yes, thank you so much, Michelle. It was such a pleasure talking to you. It's um, very nice. Thank you. How lovely was Ramona? So <clears throat> you, I urge you to go click on the links in the show notes. It's uh, the show notes. People have asked me, how does one access the show notes? It isn't easy, I do not think. But I'm going to try to tell you how to do it on... Apple Podcasts. Um, how do you, you do it? That's, that's the question. Okay, here's how you do it. You go to your episode. You click on said episode. So when you're in your podcast, make sure that the podcast episode itself gets big so that like it almost takes over your screen. And then you scroll down and it says episode notes. In the episode notes, again, this is on Apple Podcasts, um, you'll see any of the links that I have attached to the episode. I don't have formal show notes because girl's got a business to run. And, well, Real Talk Design is not a business at this point. Not totally, anyway. Uh, yeah, I'm really sick right now, so don't mind my voice. Uh, you guys probably don't even think it sounds any different, but I'm really, really trying to contain my coughing right now. So I'm just going to try to wrap this up. So if you enjoyed that episode, please go to, no, see, I'm drunk. I'm, I'm not drunk. I'm high on uh, Buckley's, which for the record is the most rancid shit I've ever taken. But uh, if you enjoyed this episode, then please go, why do I keep saying that? <laughs> please subscribe. Please leave a review. Um, and if you want to follow the journey along deeper, you can go to the Facebook group. It's Real Talk Design. And for the record... I do not accept anybody other than designers. So if you're somebody trying to promote other stuff to designers, the group's not for you. So don't be offended if I don't accept you, if you do not fall into a I'm a legit designer category. So just answer the questions and you'll be good to go. Other than that, guys, that's all I got for you this week. Pray for me. I can't. My chest, I'm scared that all my coughing is going to make me pop a rib. I have popped a rib before. It's from intense coughing, and it's happened twice now. So please hope to God that a girl does not pop a rib again. Anyways, guys, that's all I got for you this week. Bye.